You say the world needs ditch diggers, and that statement is true enough. But if you're saying it because you think we're you're better than us, then I've got uh, with you, I've got a grudge. For we are every creed and color. We are a woman and we are a man. We fall into what society calls blue collar, and we are proud to wear that brand. Our hat hats, our hard hats are a resume. They're tattooed with stickers, timelines of who we are, where we've been, what we've built with our machines, our skills, our hands. So everyone is built to do something, and we were built to build this world. We're doing what we were designed to do since we were just little boys and girls. Love it. I love that, it. Is that right? I, that was amazing, Greg. Thanks right, so good, much, good. man. It's right up the alley of the whole show and everything that goes on and the love and passion that we all have for the construction industry, man. So thank yeah. you. That was great. Excited to be here. Excited to talk to you. I think what you're doing is fantastic. We Thanks, really man. It. It's always nice to, to have some people that are like me. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the show, Greg. Really happy about having you on this show. I'm excited. We got a lot of questions. I want to talk a lot about what's going on, the Builder Project, what you guys have been up to, what you're doing, and how it's basically, what I would say, changing the industry. We're, we're, we're aiming to take a different perspective on things, you know, because, you know, I'm sure you've seen it where you know, it's almost like a greater chance of a project to be over budget behind schedule than it is to be uh, one or the other. You I know? was so. just having this conversation because I think I have this conversation all the time. I don't think <laughs> I've ever had a job uh, actually came in on time, on budget, on perfect. I don't think yeah. that exists. I have yet to meet that unicorn in construction. <laughs> That's just it, me. I, it's It's got to be out there. You know, there's someone out there. It's like one of our motivations. Someone out there that has that skill set has some kind of something in their brain. They won't and share. We gotta it. like snatch them up. Before they won't like share IT it. Or someone comes. They in will there, never you know? share it. I guarantee you, they will never share it because it was it was I don't know. It was it was just by accident, by fluke, or something happened. Everything was lined yeah. up and it just worked out perfectly. But yeah. welcome to the show. Let me do a quick shout out. I'm wearing Danny Dosca's hoodie here. Uh, great uh, bricklayer up from Montreal, Quebec area. He's planning on getting back on the show and talking more brick. Everyone knows I've got a particular fondness for Brick Lane. Uh, so he does great work and I'm wearing his hoodie. So thank you, Danny, so much. But today we've got Greg Murphy on the show. He's a co-founder of thebuilderproject.com. Greg at thebuilderproject.com. And it's on Instagram and LinkedIn, but mostly on LinkedIn under the Builder Project banner. We're going to talk, Greg, a lot about shortage, workage, development, uh, sustainability, about efficiency. We're going to talk a lot about this industry. How can, make, yes. how can we make it much better? Yes. Where do we begin this mammoth project? <laughs> mammoth, I, you know, this is construction. Where do we begin? How can we begin? Yeah, uh, it's got to it's gotta be at the lowest level. It's got to be, it's got to be with the individuals, the construction professionals, hammering those nails, lifting those girders. Those are the people that we need to focus on, train them up and just kind of let them loose. You know, it's, it's a, I know in Canada, cause I've watched your show, there's a labor shortage there. Everywhere around Same the world. Here. It's yeah. everywhere. And I think if we got to really kind of focus on that. If so, if you want to start there, let's do it. We'll start there for sure. But I do want to let everybody know that you guys are in New York and, and we're in Toronto. And uh, this is a common theme around the world that I'm quickly realizing because we have been fortunate enough to interview other people that are outside in Europe. And we want to get into South America. We want to get into lots of places. Obviously, we've spoken to a lot of people in the U.S. and Canada. Yeah. But this is a common theme. And I agree with yeah. you that it starts off with that person, that tradesperson. Yeah. And uh, it, if so, I know you guys are uh, you're not into like 
baseball or whatever up there. So <laughs> down where we're at, we got like, uh, you know, baseball and basketball, all those, you guys just have hockey, but I know you start, I I'm a former athlete. So I like to look at, you know, these different athletic programs and where you start is at the lowest level, the children, you know, you kind of get them into youth hockey or youth baseball, basketball. And, you know, for us, at least in New York, I know that's a, a big thing. We've gone to my business partner and I have gone to different events um, and kind of discussed that with various entities. Like we need to bring back the the technical education programs in the schools, you know, just exposure um, to, to it at, at a low level. Um, there's one study I, I uh, read that I'm, I'm obsessed with. I always refer back to it. It's called Young Talent Motivations to Pursue Craft Careers in Construction, the Theory of Planned Behavior. Um, I'm going to, I don't even want to, the the people Can who wrote it. send me that link? I'd love to actually take a look at that. I'm curious Yeah, for sure. It's, yeah. it's a fantastic study um, that kind of indicates that the U.S. construction industry is, you know, and facing a, a few challenges to attract young talent and, pers- and to pursue that, have them pursue uh, craft careers. And basically the main goal of the research is to understand the underlying factors that influence these career selections. So that next generation kind of can get in line, you know, just trying to see where that issue is. Why aren't more people? I know the study is, uh, it's a little depressing because they do go to a, a school, a technical school, and where this is where they take the survey. So those people, those individuals are already exposed to the industry and not even, it's not like a hundred percent, it's somewhere, I can't remember off the top of my head. I'm just going to say about 60% of people go into the industry. So that, you know, you're, you're taking a very focused tight shot group of people who are already exposed, kind of looking to turn into a tradesperson and then not even, you know, all of them want to do it. So I want to ask you, Greg, is it, do you think that we're having such a challenging time in construction these days? Because there is so much competition out there for career options. Uh, like we've yeah. never seen as many options out there as, as we have now. Yeah, for sure. I think that's a, it's a huge influence. You know, everyone, you know, that IT, the computer, the, you know, I grew up during that uh, computers were, you know, starting to become everywhere. And then, you know, for the older people out there, you know, you had the card catalog in the uh, library and then yeah. it went to computer and yeah. so on and so forth. So it's like, you know, that's like a huge thing. It's, it's so easy, you know, anyone can do it. And, um, you know, there are a ton of careers that have just come out of, you know, nowhere over the past, like two decades that didn't exist, you know, a few decades ago. So it's just, that much more competition for, you know, someone to become a construction professional. But we're all different. I mean, there's plenty of room for doctors, accountants, even lawyers. Uh, You know, there's all room for different kinds of careers out there. But a lot of people have a calling for construction. They just don't realize it. But I mean, I guess because maybe there's a stigma attached to it where it goes back to the poem where you're talking about blue collar. And it's like, I guess we're looked upon, like we're looked down upon. And it's, sure. it's not that way because I've always had these conversations with the younger trades and I kept explaining to them that you have a skill set that these other people don't have, nor will they ever have because they don't have the heart or the passion for it. You can build a house. 
Like I'm talking 100%. about you as a as a part of a of a of a bigger picture. You're a tradesperson that's contributing to a bigger picture, and you can build a house. That's a huge thing, man. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I think uh, the pandemic was a rude awakening for a lot of people. I know because we're uh, in a suburb of New York City, and I know you, you know you turn on the news during the pandemic. It was like a you know a, a crazy like almost like war zone in the city and people really started to understand like without those construction professionals none of these emergency rooms would exist we were i know i was um we're affiliated with a general contracting firm empire general contracting out of tuckahoe new york another suburb new york city okay and they were uh working around the clock you know the uh, you know the carpenters tapers painters um just going in these hospitals and facilities, you know, being exposed to all this stuff to try and create a better healing environment for those doctors, for those nurses. And I think it was, uh, hopefully it was a, a, like a, a spark that kind of ignites this kind of renaissance, if you will, to have people come back to the trades because it does serve a purpose. It does, the young people want purpose, I feel like, and, you know, it, it you know, what better than I'm going to go build a healing environment yeah. so, you know, I can help people. I agree with you, and I think that's probably one of the biggest lessons that we can take away from that whole uh, situation that happened is that you had a lot of tradespeople starting to think differently and build differently and started yeah. realizing, because I think all of us were going home and realizing our home wasn't truly a home. There was yeah. some missing elements here that can be better improved. And so you had all types of different tradespeople out there trying to figure out how can we make our home cleaner, safer, better. Yeah. I mean, we spend whatever the stats are. I know that I've had so many shows and, and so many people talk about the amount of time we spend indoors, the amount of time, you know, we sleep at home or all this stuff, right? We cook and we live and everything like that, but our environment's not perfect and it can be perfect. You can build better, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. You you gotta, you, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, my mindset is you're on this earth one, one shot, one shot only, you know, like, and for me personally, you know, I got this many years to work, uh, cause I want to retire, you know? And so like from here to here, I want to become the best at whatever I want to do, you know, try and change the world and be positive and, and grow the environment around me. And I think that's one of the things that if, we can create like a coalition of construction professionals, you know, we can create the next, you know, empire state building or whatever, you know, it's, we can create that environment, that perfect environment that everyone wants and needs. So how did it begin for you guys? How did it start, Greg, where you guys came <laughs> up? I want to know what, what was it? Beers? It's, uh, was it it's just a funny coffee? story. What's so the like, story? Uh, yeah. So we're both parents and uh, one day, my wife comes home from dropping my son off at uh, preschool and he's uh, she's like, uh, she's this uh, kind of funny woman who um, she's, she's into construction or something. I don't, I don't know. Can you talk to her? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, shit, this is another one of those volunteer projects your wife gets you into that. You're like, I cannot wait to go to this woman's house and like fix some shit, you know? And, uh, and then I talked to my business partner, Parveen, or at that time, just random woman, Parveen. And I was like, Hey, my, you know, my wife, Molly, she's, uh, she had mentioned your interest in the construction industry. I'd love to like 
whatever you want. I'm an open book. Just ask me questions. And she's like, instead of what I thought she was going to ask, like, oh, my door is out of plumb. Can you, or it, my door sticking, can you fix it? It was, uh, I'm trying to start a business to focus on women joining the industry. And I was just like, I was floored. I was like, what? And she sent me her slides for her business. It was called Build Her Central. We've since changed the name to the Builder Project, but um, we got to talking and then we finally met on a play date uh, where, you know, my son probably tortured her daughter and, <laughs> you know, how little kids are. And then from there, from that play date, we just kind of kept talking and eventually we were both like, you know, we kind of came to, you know, a uh, common ground and we're like, let's, let's do this. Let's try and change the world. And worst case scenario, we kind of, at the end of the day, we can hold our head high and say we, we gave it a whirl. So that's where we're at. So how's that battle coming along? It's a tough, it's a slog to try and convince some of these, you know, building owners like, hey, you can save your tenants money. You can create a better environment. Uh, you know, it's to try and sell yourself and sell these people on investing that upfront money. And even that's including all these different um grants and and financing all that stuff it's uh it's becoming slightly easier but it's still not an easy thing to try and you know retrofit you know you know do a deep uh passive house retrofit um kind of thing it's 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 for us that's our big hurdle right now you guys have two hurdles i see right because you have the initial clients themselves that have the budgets have the expenses that they have to cover but then you also have the old school builders setting their ways that you have to tackle. Yeah. And it's really hard like to have these conversations about longevity. And, and I, I just, I mean, are gone are the days of building for generations. Are we like, have we totally forgotten about building for generations or are we just building for the moment right now? I, I personally feel like uh, it's, we've got to collectively as a society, understand we want to build for quality you know we want to build for the future and i know being on construction sites it's all about production it's all about bust it out i don't care you work a 12 you work a 12 you know and it's if we can just take a second breathe find some common ground come together and actually say like look you know i know i i steal your phrase uh race to the bottom if we can get away from that you know I I, uh, I use it all the time now. Sorry, I, I don't mention your name at all. <laughs> it's <didn't>. fine. <laughs> take it. I tell but, everybody uh, to take all of them. All right, good, good. But uh, you know, if we can get that people out of the mindset of that and just really focus on you know quality, and then if we can focus on this next generation of construction professionals that we're bringing up, and teach them, you know, none of those bad habits, but this new way of thinking. You know, I think the end uh, the possibilities are endless you know what we can create it's i do have a lot of faith in the in the up and coming younger gen generation of tradespeople that are working because they are at least having more conversations than we did when we yeah. first got started in it and definitely i'm not i'm not knocking the baby boomers out there at that because they would just dismiss everything and this is how it was done this is how it's being done and this is how it's always yeah. going to be done right yeah but at least this younger generation is looking at options yeah, they're, they're considering. And, but I, I also I want to ask you, Greg, are we getting or are we mudding the waters when we get a lot of different brands that are kind of giving us mixed messaging on products? Mm -hmm. 
Like I, yeah, I, I argue this all the time with the brands. I keep on going, okay, listen, I get this one product A is amazing, but your product B is terrible. And I can't mix A and B together. So I can't work. No, no, you got to do this all together with A and B and C and D. And yeah. No, no, no. I, like, why, why can't we just all kind of work together and try to figure out what is the best product for this ceiling application, this kind yeah. of window dressing, this. Or, or tiling. Yes. You know? How many different of- applications of tile do you see out there? It's like cement board or dry pack or, yeah. you know, curdy system. It's like that. I, I totally agree. I think I think we need to start really focusing on trying to find that common ground, like I said, and also trying to have like, I don't know, some leadership actually trying to unite people and, and focus on, you know, one thing, one goal and trying to, you know, funnel every, all of the resources we have into it. Um, I know with our company, we try and make sure we give people options, but options that are applicable to their situation, you know, if their house doesn't need solar panels because it's not appropriate, we're not going to suggest that, you know. And then our big thing, I know, um, I don't know if you have the lead system in, in Canada yeah, we do. or not. we do, yeah. Okay, perfect. I didn't do any Canada research. I apologize. I should have. Neither have I. I just live here. That's all it is. So don't <laughs> worry. I'll tell you what the colors of the flag are, and that's about it, man. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good. But, so one of the things that sticks out with for me and Parveen, I know, is um, – one of the things is buying local, you know, getting local resources. Ah, and that's paramount. So important. Yes. Cause like, if you really think about it, you know, with your, you're trying to lower your carbon emissions and all this stuff, you know, it, it, you're not only going to do that by going down to your local hardware store or whatever, but you're also helping your community. And that's yes. huge for us. We're both young parents. We want our kids to grow up in a community of love and, healthy community and just like you know it it kind of you know is like one of our big uh mission points uh for our company but it 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 just snowballs you know if you can do that and yeah i don't know where it's it's nice to see because i am seeing a lot of trades people and i mean if you're talking about local i know that construction is very proud and they love creating a lot of marketing swag and, uh, you know, you're, yeah. we- you're wearing hoodies and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm starting to see a lot of tradespeople getting it made locally instead mm-hmm. of having it just made in China or something and then having yeah. it shipped here and that's it. So it's like, why yeah. can't we do the same with that? Like every country has the sustainability to do all that building within their own infrastructure of their own community. Yeah. Like you said, it brings it right back to the community. Yeah. And, and then also like how far down the sustainability rabbit hole do you want to go like we were just on a, at a speaking at an event on wednesday night and there was a, a woman um i'm an asshole i forgot her company name i'd love to shout it out but okay. i forgot but uh great great company in new york city trying to just help uh people bring up awareness of solar panels and all that stuff but you know it kind of made me think like well where is she getting these solar panels you know there's precious metals that are you know, uh, necessary and vital t- for the functioning of that, that solar panel, you know, like, where is that being mind? Like, how far down the line do you want, you know, to really kind of measure this carbon footprint, you yeah. know? But, um, you know, if we got to, I think we got to just stay positive, you know, we can, we can be negative all day, sharpshoot people stuff. I'm sure you get it all yeah. the time, but yeah, if we just build positive, 
But yeah. I know that this has always been from my first day of construction. Um, this one detail in construction has always been there. It's always reared its head. It's always a part of the conversation. It will always be a part of the conversation. And it's money. It's yeah. just like money will dictate clients' decisions, builders' decisions, all kinds of decisions. And you have to factor it in. And And how do you guys handle that? How can we kind of explain that money can't be the first it can't yeah. be the second maybe but it can't be the first yeah so for what we do is we definitely first we will we'll come in we'll do an audit you know we'll look at the building envelope to like you know hey your pipes underneath your sink and your bathroom insulated that kind of stuff we view the building as an organism like a human body you know and we try and sell you know preventative maintenance just like you know what your doctor is going to be like an apple a day and go run on a treadmill go lift some weights be healthy so we kind of take that same approach as like look you're either going to pay a vastly larger amount of money down the road if you don't do the proper flashing or you don't you know install this or that or you don't check your building envelope you know down the road or you can just kind of look at it now little investment up front you know, and from there, then we kind of give them options. We kind of give them three different price ranges from like, okay, it's kind of like one of the, you know, you go to a mechanic shop and you're like, oh, I don't have 10 grand. What can I do? And yeah. it's giving them options. Okay. This you should focus on first, so on and so forth. So we do a very similar approach where we kind of give them different options. Like, okay, your building envelope is your main issue here. You know, you got to replace a roof or you got to look at your windows or so on and so forth. And from there, we can kind of go to the local vendors and suppliers and say like, okay, here's, here's what we can provide. Here's what they can provide. You know, here are your options and really kind of work with them and the local community to, you know, solve their issues. So it goes right back to where we started with the show. We're talking about, it starts off with the boots on the ground, the tradesperson. Yeah. And and we've got to give them the right words or the right knowledge to kind of keep on getting that messaging out there. We can't have them just keep their head down and the blinders on and just build yeah. because you're being asked to build. You have to question why you're building in a certain way. And if it's not being built properly to last, how do we get them to have that conversation with either their employer or the client or their suppliers? Yeah, I, I mean... Yeah, it's a it's a probably not the easiest question. Like <laughs> that's why I asked but, you, man. You can answer it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, uh, you know, I think first off, I guess on a macro view, if we can, you know, you got the Hanses of the world. I know you had Hans, yeah. Ike. Uh, you know, you got him, and you've got architects. You got you know these design teams. You've got building owners. I think the last missing piece for this green movement would be the tradespeople. Yeah. And I think if we can ingest that at an early age, like I said, at the school level, you know, uh, teaching them when you're teaching them in the technical education classes, like you can teach them passive building construction, you know, and then they grow up with that. Okay. I need this size framed wall. I need this type of insulation. And they actually know the difference between open cell and closed cell insulation, you know, and, really kind of making those materials, the the knowledge material base more available, easily digestible and in different formats because everyone learns differently. I'm one of the, like, I can sit in a classroom for eight hours a day. I'm probably going to absorb 15 minutes of yeah. it if yeah. it involves like 
sports or something. But if you're swinging a hammer and you're on the job site and you're trying to True. figure out how to build it better, that's different. Yeah, yeah and it, it, I think it also comes down to having these suppliers come out and just being more connected to their local building community. You know, if, hey, I just got this new product out, let me, let's try it out. You know, I don't know if you've seen that where you're at, where they come out. Hey, they've done that a number out? of times. They they haven't done it in a while because of the whole, the way the world was for the last three years, but they yeah. used to do that all the time. They would ask us to uh, try it. I'd be the worst one for, for the, any of them to come up to me because I would tell them my two cents right off the bat, if it's going to work or yeah. if I don't think it's going to work. Uh, but yeah. that's where I go back to muddying the waters with the brands and they're trying to convince me of something that I don't necessarily believe in. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you, Greg, is like, I know that we have the problem here with a lot of high schools are removing all the trade classes out of their schools, yeah. right? So they're not even teaching it. I'm at the mindset right now where I think that there's some, there should be some sort of trade education at the elementary stage. I think there's a disconnect by the time, like when your children are small enough and they want these toys and they want that little toy arsenal of tools and they're using them, but then all of a sudden they stop using them and then they get to high school and then they're not interested in using them, but they have a calling for it. Is that the same thing in New York? Is that going on across all of America that it's being removed yeah. more than it is being implemented? Uh, I I don't know the statistic off the top of my head, but I knew that I, I know when I grew up, I had that at the elementary and the high school level. And I know it's been removed. It's not in a lot of schools. I do think it is extremely important, especially to see this, you know, trend reverse. I know... Uh, uh, your show with David P, the uh, Mexican carpenter. Yeah, the Mexican I, carpenter. It's great. Yeah, I, I loved it because I took a very similar approach with my son when I was renovating my basement during the pandemic because we were like, uh, what do we do? We're so bored. So uh, <laughs> I had him cutting sheetrock. You know, I had him, you know, like he loved it. He absolutely loved it. I got him his own little tool belt, you know, and, you know, he he spent hours with me not as productive as I would have hoped he would have been, but, uh, you know, it, he was, you know, I think it's, it is important. It is something that we, at least Parveen and I have told organizations in the New York area. Um, one of them is BRI. Uh, it's like a, a organization in Westchester. It's a building realty Institute. They had a big, um, uh, event, and there was an entire two-hour discussion on labor shortage and how to fix it. And at the end, they they were like, yep, we got to get this down to the lowest level. And, you know, as far as like where it is in the legislative process, you know, at least we set our two cents and trying to bring it to our elected officials, at least to bring I mean, it back. I'll, I'll say, Greg, that what I've learned from, and I'm still trying to get more elected officials on the show because it's, um, I find it slightly entertaining that questions are asked and nothing's ever answered. Um, yeah. I think the way you get rid of the labor shortage is that you don't involve elected officials. I think we're kind of on our own now that we got to kind of build our own community and attract more and more people because it's, it's such a challenging point uh, to get elected officials to be on our side to understand what this is really going on. And yeah. I, I think that it's important that if you do have elected officials that are actually speaking on our behalf, they must have at some point in their life swung a hammer. 
I, yeah. I, I just, I, I'm all asking is that you have to have some sense of construction for me to have yeah. a, a general conversation with you. So then, because if you want to change the industry, I think you, you must have had that opportunity to understand where we're all coming from. Yeah, for sure. And yeah. I think you got to have that, you know, baseline domain knowledge of, hey, like this is how things operate. You're, you know, I, I'm not saying you need to be a master carpenter no, or no. some kind of... But just like a yeah, a general sense of like, hey, this is this is the life because you know I don't know what it's like in Canada, but the industry is really demanding. Mental health is a huge thing. It's, uh, it's the same it's, way, man. I, same way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, so it it really does help if uh, you know they do have that background, and I I see where I I agree with you that to an extent I think we are kind of on our own. We have to you know grab the bull by the horns, and you know, I wish, and I know there's still, there's some, uh, companies out there that have done started reaching out a little bit more, but it would be great to see those companies like Skanska or, you know, Lendlease or, uh, you know, uh, Tishman, the big, big GCs in America start actually creating programs, you know, after school programs. And I know, there's a um, Soulful Synergy is a workforce development um, company out of Westchester, New York, that focuses exactly on that. It's a it's a company that goes around Westchester, New York, and sorry, uh, does workforce development with older adults, just trying to like a BOCES program, and just brings people in and is like, hey, you want to learn this trade? You're going to have a fantastic occupation after you graduate. We're going to teach you a little bit of everything, and we're going to try and place you with a company somewhere along the line. So I know it's happening, but if we could get those big backers with all that money and infrastructure, I think where, you know, I agree. from yep. your perspective, where we could make that, that I happen. I totally agree. And I mean, I say the elected officials, you know, with a huge dump truck of salt. You know what I mean? Like a massive amount of, of salt. Um, I say that because I think what happens is when we get down to the boots on the ground and we get to that one single tradesperson, they don't think they're making a difference. And that's not the case. They're making like one person can actually make a difference. As cliche yeah. as that sounds in construction, one tradesperson can make a difference. Yeah, it's a it's a bankless job. And I know um, when any any moment I got a good email. I would forward it to my team and say, just, I really appreciate it. Thank you for the hard work. I thank you. Pat on the back, whatever. It goes such a long way in this industry, you know, and you don't know what that individual's day was like, you know, yeah, clearly exactly. suicide is a thing. I think it's 45 out of a hundred thousand in America, uh, in the construction industry that kill themselves. So it's, it's a thing and a simple thank you or an appreciation. And like I said, during the pandemic, it finally hit people that, Oh, wow. Like, thank you for doing this. Like, you don't have to be in this hospital. You could have stayed home, but now you're working next to me yep. and giving me an environment to work in. I think, you know, it was, it was nice to see those doctors that, you know, kind of stereotypically, I'm not saying every doctor is like this, yeah. but they have that snooty kind of, I'm a doctor. I'm so smart, you know, kind of go way back to the ditch diggers comments, you know, and then they, it, it, it hit them that, you know, th 
everyone's jobs are important as they are. We're all in it together. We're all in it together. Yeah. All right. So I got to do a little bit of history here. So I'm talking to Greg Murphy from thebuilderproject.com, Greg at thebuilderproject.com, and on LinkedIn and Instagram, find it when you search The Builder Project. Different types of residential exterior siding, Greg. Brick. Pros, fire and moisture resistant, sustainable due to clay's abundance, strong and durable, insulating. Cons, rising costs due to high transport prices, labor intensive install, more at the intensive uh, installation. Mortar may need repointing. Stone, pros, pretty much the same as brick. Uh, veneer is much cheaper. Wood, pros is highly varied, renewable resource. Cons, high maintenance. Aluminum pros are affordable, moisture and cold resistant, insulating. Cons will dent and scratch, fade and becomes chalky over time. Vinyl, highly affordable, not so eco-friendly, can reduce home value. Steel pros, durable, fire, moisture, heat, cold resistant, can be pressure washed. Cons, expensive. <laughs> that's basically it. I mean, that's what everybody's yeah. using now for the for for building. I yeah. want to actually ask you about. Are most tradespeople, when they're starting in this industry, are, are they looking at the bigger picture? I think, uh, so I actually surveyed uh, a bunch of construction professionals um, when I first started with Parveen, just like I was on a, on a site um, working with Empire General Contracting. And uh, I just asked a lot of the trades, you know, wh- you know, what do you think? Where are we at? You know, what's going on with the labor shortage? And a lot of them were just trying to focus on what they had to do that day what they had to do to, you know, get to the end of the week. Um, you know, cause like when you're in it, it's, it's hard to kind of pull yourself out. Um, I but, know that uh, you probably, I don't know if you listened to it, but there's been a few shows last year when we were recording and I kept on um, advocating for four day weeks. I, 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 there's a construction company out of Hawaii that does four day weeks and uh, I forget the name of it, but I read this article and I'm like, why are we doing like, Four days, ten hours, like it just, you know, um, another YouTube um, uh, construction uh, thing. Uh, the Perkins Brothers. I don't know if you've seen it. No. Um, say again. Uh, no, no, I I haven't seen it. No. Oh yeah, it's uh, it's just like a a local small little literally two brothers that do uh, construction in uh, North Carolina, and uh, they do four four days a week. They call Thursday Friday. <laughs> So, uh, you know, I, I think that would help that would that might go a long way to just give those construction professionals a, another day of rest because it is demanding. You know, I, I you go into New York City, you're an iron worker, you're up 30 stories. You look like, uh, you know, a Michelin man yeah. and you're trying to, you know, weld these two structural beams together. It It's a lot. It's a lot physically, emotionally, mentally. And then you're just trying to, you know not freeze while you, and not fall at the same time. I think it would work. I think it totally would work. And I think that yeah. I, I think a lot of other places, Europe is doing it. Um, yeah. I think that here in North America, probably what would happen is that you would do the four day weeks. You would get your production that you need to get done in four days. But I think that fifth day of the week would give you a day to clear your mind and actually try to figure out how to move the industry forward. That's yeah. what I'm looking at it like. Okay, fine. You would have time to spend with your family. You would have time to spend for yourself and do other projects. Yeah. But also you would have a clearer mind to think about the future of construction at that point. For sure. And I think it it, it not only for that, it, it also goes from the, the, the construction professional boots on the ground, even to the managers, you know? Yes. Um, 
as uh, I'm finishing up my master's uh, in construction management from Wentworth Institute of Technology out of Boston. And uh, it's like a huge thing if you can just have that extra day of planning because planning, you know, it, it has a, a ripple effect with schedules and trying to just maintain everything because then if the plans are all messed up, unfortunately, it's going to roll down to the yeah. to the bottom. So how do we, I want to you share, Greg, I'd love for you to share how we can build uh, much better for the environment, certain things that we can start considering. When I know that you focus more on commercial applications, but it's still, I've always said it on the show several times, commercial applications always get filtered out right down to residential applications. It eventually shows yep. up there. It's no different than what technologies in F1, it actually gets into your car that you drive every single day. That's exactly what happens with construction from commercial to residential. What yep. are some of the things that you want to start seeing get amplified i think if if given the choice you know like you should go with the the thicker insulation and you know bite the bullet up front i think uh you know the building envelope you know i'm i've uh you know i'm, I'm a little biased i like the passive you know construction i think that would i love it that would that would help tremendously so if we can kind of figure out something along those lines and then just just have all of those energy star energy efficient options on the table. Don't even make it an option. Like uh, there's a, a couple of new buildings I've worked in and around down at one of the healthcare facilities in New York city with, I think it was built five years ago and they, they, instead of LEDs, they went cheap and they went incandescent uh, light bulbs. So I was like, uh, this is a multi-billion dollar building and you don't, use leds it, it's a little mind-boggling but yeah. once again it comes down to money but if you don't have that option i'm not saying mandates or anything but you know really try and focus on this should be kind of one of the only options you know do you think greg that code is moving too slowly i i i think it's uh, so it, in westchester it's very like little hamlets little small towns and there it's there are some towns that are are like too far ahead where people can't keep up because they don't have enough money to, you know, yeah. uh, dig a huge trench in their basement to install geothermal, you know. And then there's other towns that are like where they're arguing over, uh, paper, you know, paper or plastic and a recycling bin. You know, it's like it's weird. It doesn't make a lot of sense. But if if we could, you know. I guess, move a little bit more consistently across the board. I think that would be the most beneficial. Okay. You can correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, but I think that most buildings nowadays are actually being built with geothermal already being considered for their source. Is that the fact that that's what they're doing, right? Yeah. I know where, where we're at, it's, it's not mandated, but there it is, it is definitely, it's in one of the design considerations. Um, you know, we're dealing a lot with just uh, like retrofits and trying to upgrade the existing building that we, you know, that are in our neighborhoods and stuff. So, you know, with the new codes, I'm not an expert on, but yeah, no, it's definitely that they are trying to have these building codes up, upgraded and updated. Yeah, I know that in Toronto here, we're seeing a lot of that, that any new structures, you're getting those options because we're right off of Lake Ontario. So yeah. you can actually get all that cooling source from there. And yeah. I'm, I'm wondering why are we not getting some elected officials or anybody or even big time builders actually considering whole subdivisions and communities 
going that route and just setting up because it, I know there's a lot of upfront costs, especially specifically with geothermal. There's a yeah. huge amount of upfront costs. But if oh, you yeah. spread that upfront cost across a community, then it helps out mm -hmm. everybody. Yeah, for sure. And I know uh, one of the things I got uh, Wednesday night, we went to this event and the solar power woman, she was discussing community solar and all the different uh, pros of just having, like you said, a, a whole community that is, uh, you know, basically uh, energy independent. Yeah. So I, I think it's it's moving that direction in a lot of places, but not consistently enough. In New York, there are you guys. Um, are are all the uh, I guess building officials or the, the 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 politics there? Are they offering incentives? Does it benefit yes. homeowners? Yeah, because of the yes, unfortunate thing with us here in Ontario and Canada, they're removing all the incentives. It's getting frustrating. Oh, wow. oh yeah, and it's really wow. extremely frustrating that we used to have incentives to actually get EV chargers put into your home. Those are all gone now. It makes oh, no wow. sense. So they're removing all these things because that's the powers that be right now. So yeah. it's nice to hear that you guys still have it, but how do we yeah. keep moving forward when you keep on removing the incentives? Yeah, I, I that's crazy. Um, you know, if you can't you can't really do that, you know, especially if you're expecting, you know, everyone communities to become, you know, energy efficient. I think you really need that. And what would help, I know here. You need a lawyer and, you know, 10 hours of free time to digest the paperwork you need to fill out in a lot <laughs> wow. of instances, yeah. you know? So it's, you, you kind of got to have the incentives and make it easily digestible. And I get it. Someone's going to try and take advantage of it, you know, but you can't punish everyone because of some silly idiot that, you know, was like, ah, I'm going to. I just need 10 grand. So let me say I'm going to get solar panels and then I'm, you know, off to, you know, not there anymore, you know, they move or something. So I think it, it's, there's got to be something out there that's, that, that people like you and me can understand and we can just jump right into it. Do you think, Greg, it's like, I'm curious, do you think it's because most people don't consider their homes a generational home? Do you think it like it's almost as if, okay, so this isn't our forever home, right? So if it's not my forever home and I'm not handing it down to so-and-so, I'm going to just for sale it and list it to a complete stranger. Why am I going to invest into this yeah, effort? It, yeah, I think it's a little bit of that and it's a little bit of, you know, they don't even, they rent or something and it's, um, I know one uh, job Parveen and I were on, we were dealing with this woman who, um, basically was, uh, and she owned her own bakery and the building owner didn't want to, she put, he put all the onus on her. So she had to maintain the windows, all the infrastructure, basically maintain the building, but just paid rent. And she didn't see any real incentive to upgrade. And it's trying to find that fine line of like, get everyone at the table and talk about it and just say, look, you, you, I know you don't want to invest you know, you don't want to invest, but if we can come to an agreement and try and find that common ground, why not um, split the cost at that point? Like, I mean, yeah, you exactly, got a happy tenant, exactly. you got a happy landlord and just split the cost. You're saving money on expenditures for utilities at that point. You're running yeah. a business. You can use it as a marketing angle as well, too. Uh, yeah. I don't know. That would make more sense. No. Yeah, for sure. And then it's just, I guess, you know, working at it. And I think more and more people are exposed to this, to the whole 
you know, trying to reduce your carbon footprint, all that stuff. And I think eventually people will start to realize the savings that they're going to incur once they start to upgrade their infrastructure and stuff. Are you guys, um, are, are you seeing an increase in renewable energy in New York there? Are you yeah, getting more they're, they're, like cleaner energy, right? Yeah, they're, they're trying, there's a big push. They're, they're really trying to reduce. I know in New York city specifically, there's a local law that's mandating um, buildings of a certain size to reduce their carbon footprint by, I think it's like 2025 or 2030. Whether it's achievable uh, is still like up for debate, but um, you know, New York is one of those more, you know, conscious, uh, you know, places in America, um, which is good, but then it's a double-edged sword where you mandate these things and there isn't the information out there or there's a lack of knowledge like you were saying before with the elected officials and it's just it muddies the water you know even further and it just creates chaos so for i know for us we're trying to when we come and visit with someone and just basically instill as much knowledge of what we're doing why we're doing it and what they can do to basically help them and our community I'm going to suggest something, Greg. I'm just going to try something and see if this actually works or get me into more trouble. Um, like, I think it's like we don't start at the top of the mountain. I think we start at the bottom in a small little town. Yeah. And I think if everybody were to go into their own community and their own street, their own crescent or whatever, 20, 30 homes and just knock on everybody's door and just introduce yourself to them and just ask them, how conscious are you of your carbon footprint and yeah. just get a, a, a senses of, of how many people actually do care about this. Because I think if yeah. you were to start to prove to the elected officials, this little community here is really conscious of actually reducing everything and saving more energy. And they're interested in doing better windows, more insulation, trying to upgrade their home, all these things, but they would love assistance by some yeah. government credits or, or tax breaks or something like that. Would yeah. you guys consider doing that? I mean, you think that would work? I think, I think it has a shot. You know, it doesn't hurt. Um, and I'm sure there's enough people in our area that would definitely kind of sign up in the next town hall meeting. You'd, it would be a topic of conversation. You yeah. know, I, I wouldn't mind a little help to get like a triple hung uh, windows installed in my house, you know, but um yeah, I think whatever it is, it, it I think starting maybe at the bottom is a, a good uh, good starting point. You know, kind of get that community perspective and grow it from there. Go back grassroots. to yeah, grassroots, grassroots viral marketing, and I bet you any money at that point you'll get some big, pretty big corporations, brands in an industry that would yeah. take note of it, and they'd be like, well, "What's going on here? Look, look, like this is insane. Why is this happening? Well, it's happening because we actually want to stay in this house. We want to create a generational home. We want to yeah. save energy. We don't want to keep on spending more and more energy. Wouldn't it be amazing to have the objective to actually reduce your energy consumption on your current home?" Don't yeah. do anything but reduce your consumption. Like just figure out what can we do to reduce the consumption? Yeah. It's, it's starting at like an individual level of yes. like just being conscious about it. Just be like, Hey, I could recycle this paper or, you know, I could, I'm lucky enough where I could walk into town and get my groceries. So we do that. We'll do like a, a family walk, especially when my four-year-old is uh, losing his mind and we need to have him run off some steam. So we'll, <laughs> go get, uh, you know, breakfast in town, come back, you know, it's, uh, 
it, it, it's if you can start out on an individual level and then collectively as a group come together, I think that would, you know, it, it would be great. It's almost like a societal change, you know, um, you know, as at an individual level. I, I, I mean, I know that you brought up a few points before we got talking on the show and it was about knowledge and information. And I know that construction, and I go back to the younger generation, they're totally interested in trying to figure out how to do things more efficient, how to do things better. So they want that knowledge. They want that information. I would love to see more and more brands because they're listening. I know they're always listening. Um, I would love <laughs> for them to actually share that knowledge and share that R&D without the sales pitch. Yeah. Don't give me the sales pitch. Just give me the R&D and I guarantee you the sale will come. But listen to the R&D and share the R&D and then we will try it. We will be boats on the ground. We'll work it and it'll work yep. really well. And then all yep. of a sudden, guess what? The sale will come. For sure. Especially, you know, it, you know if it if it works, it's easy to install and it, 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 uh, you know, production is high. It's a huge thing. If, if, uh, you know, a, a company out there like LP or something is like this new siding, that's uh, energy efficient. It, you know, it's, uh, you know, helps your, uh, you know, house become airtight and, uh, installs down uh 20% or something like that, you know, or, or the rate increase or whatever productivity. So, you know, it, that would be, that's a, another huge selling point. I would love to know if you have this information and I don't want to ruffle any feathers, but what state is actually building like some of the best homes? I'd, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't have it off the top of my head. But I'd be curious. You know, I'd be curious I'm, to know which one is actually building the best ones out there. That's actually getting a nice carbon footprint. I'd be very, very curious. Would it be California? It's not in California, would it? Or I don't know. Uh, maybe, or, uh, maybe Texas. I know Texas is, uh, there's a lot of building, a lot of building, a lot of interesting building going on in Texas, right? Yeah. 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 And they're uh, also very, uh, you know, energy conscious. I know they're, they're up there. I think it's the top state in the country um with renewables so yeah i'm just curious I mean, I mean i guess right now even in canada i would probably say bc vancouver is probably because they they have more extremes they have to deal with seismic they have to deal with extreme yeah. mother nature and weather um versus here in toronto it's uh it's a gong show here in toronto is basically what it is right you just build to the minimum standards is what you yeah do, just to three pass. feet down you know for us for foundation and you know you're lucky if uh they'll put like a insulation on the outside and waterproof membrane and you know you're kind of like all right here we go that's it that's all I, you're getting yeah i've said it before where i really would love homeowners to actually be educated and understand construction so they can understand that you get one shot at insulation later on yeah. it's going to cost a lot more uh yeah. windows you can eventually upgrade but insulation you know the way you build that wall assembly you get one shot at that yeah and you should really consider that expense that's an important yeah. expense for sure i i uh i worked harder not smarter when renovating my basement i insulated everything and it it sucked. <laughs> it just straight up sucked. I was just like telling my son to go upstairs. Daddy's just, daddy just needs a minute to himself. You know, I just got, you know, it's just like, oh, uh, you know, I'm trying to, you know, be set a good example and I'm just losing my mind. Uh, my wife's like, what's going on down there? I'm like, stay upstairs. You know? like, but uh, don't worry, you know, the pain you know, will be over soon. 
yeah 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 but now you know it, it it helps it's like we've got you know a couple of heaters down here my my whole house is electric and you know we got uh everything thermostats the whole nine and you know we're electrified which is which is great now uh you know our electric bill like 350 or something a month but uh it's also a sears home you know so which was weird learning about sears and doing some research there but what exactly is a Sears? i know i've heard of it but i don't know what makes it a sears home yeah, so back in the day, Sears was the biggest residential construction uh, entity out there. Oh. And then you could literally buy, go to a catalog and open it, flip through it, and be like, I want this and this and this. And they would shit it out for you and build it. makes it. me nervous. Yeah. No, I mean, well, this is, <laughs> I mean, it's an older home. So, like, the two-by-fours are, are true two-by-four, and it's, uh, it was... It was a doozy doing some demo, but, uh, you know, it, it was built to last for sure. I wanted to ask you, Greg, how do we convince homeowners that are probably buying their second house? Because obviously in today's climate, you get young couples and they're either buying a condo to start off with because that's the affordability. But then yeah. all of a sudden a child, a dog or both actually show up and all of a sudden now you need a backyard and you need a little bit more space. So now you start considering your first house. Um, but then you buy this first house. There's obviously a lot of, uh, things that you don't have because you can't afford that, but then you possibly get your second house and you start considering the second house to be your forever home. How do we get clients to start understanding? Don't keep on hopscotching to the next, to the next, to the next, try to leave a better footprint in the existing one that you have right there. This is what I do in my own place. I, when I start dismantling one room and I start renovating one room, I'm factoring everything that's attached to all six sides of that room. It's a box. And then you've got to understand where the heat loss, heat gain, everything. I want homeowners to better educate themselves to understand what we're talking about construction wise, that this is vital that you have to factor this in. How do we have those conversations? And kids, you just jump right into it. You know, I'm not a real estate person, but I think if you just have that conversation, like, what are you, what are your thoughts? What are your visions? What do you, you know, for this home, you know, and, and then have those conversations of like, look, you know, after you have it inspected, you can kind of go over, like, look, uh, you know, your building envelope is lacking insulation here, here, and here, you know, you can, you know, make this home truly warmer and feels like a home if you just re-insulate here, here, you know, and maybe you start before you come in the home, you know, maybe purchase that home and stay in that apartment for one extra month. And if you have the uh, ability to renovate it the way you want it, or, you know, like your technique is one room at a time and you just do it one room at a time, but just stress to them, like, here's what it could be. Here's what it is. You know, how would you, how would you like to go about this? I think, you know, just giving them the facts, let them kind of sift through it, maybe. I, I love that you you first brought up at the beginning of the show, passive building, because some of the best events that I ever went to in construction at the early part of my career was passive events where you had a room, probably about 50 or so people that had the same mindset. And it, you may not have agreed on everything exactly the same, but the thing yeah. is that you were still having a conversation and trying to understand, first of all, you know, how a house works. Most homeowners looking at a house and just the prettiness of it and trying to figure out what it could look like on Pinterest or house itself instead of actually what the house is supposed to do for you emotionally, 
right? So you have to, there's a better feeling when you've got a comfortable home, when you've got an energy efficient home. There's so many, like there's, it's far better than the color of paint, the type of appliance or whatever, all that kind of crap. I get it. Trust me. I love all that stuff too. Yeah. But I do love an idea of a home where the furnace isn't constantly on or heat sources aren't constantly on because in my head, knowing from my experience in construction, that unit on means that there's heat escaping. That's what it means. So you're replenishing heat that's lost from the cavity. So I start trying to educate homeowners on that. We have to try to figure out where those holes are and what we have to do to achieve this. So then that unit doesn't have to be on all the time. And guess what? That utility bill isn't as heavy as you think it's going to be every month that you get it. Yeah, exactly. I know for me personally, uh, when we first moved into our house, uh, my, my wife was like, oh, it's great, you know, and there's like a bunch of electric heaters everywhere and she turned them all on. I'm like, hey, let's not do that. I was uh, talking to an electrician and he was like, using electric heat is like trying to cut butter with a chainsaw. Incredibly inefficient, you know, and uh, I'm like, let's not do that. She wanted a warm home. OK, this is going to hurt, but let's let's see, you know, what happens. And of course, it was like 600 bucks. My wife lost her mind. I'm like, all right see this pain we're feeling, you know, like, here's how we can fix this. And that's when she was like, fine. She didn't appreciate how I wasn't upgrading the aesthetics, but also spending a ton of money at the same time, because she was very much so like the paint colors, the trim, the, you know, let's upgrade this that, and the other thing. And, um, you know, and now we don't have to live in a 55 degree house, we've got it comfortable, you know, and the kids, kids are comfortable they're not in 17 sweatshirts and (laughs) five sweatpants and you know but it it was that initial pain and if we can convince those people without that pain you know it it would be great do you think i know that i probably know the answer to this question do you think that we're building too big yeah i think so i think we're totally we should scale it down scale it down like I live in a very affluent area of New York um, and you drive through some of these towns. I know my business partner, Parveen, she lives uh, on a street where her home is what I'd like to call like normal. It's like a three bedroom, you know, it's not huge. Every room is filled with a person. She's got two kids herself and there's like one house is like nine bathrooms. It's just like, massive like and it's like two two people it's a a couple their kids are out i'm like it's a little obnoxious you know and you're also wasting your carbon footprints massive to try and maintain that house so how do we change that mindset well i guess the economy and the way the whole world everything's going on right now you have to build smaller yeah and and uh i know governor the governor of new york is uh pushing because there's like a housing crisis people are trying to buy a home but no one can afford a home so she's trying to push a lot of legislation to build homes in the state and i'm hoping that these homes that she's trying to have build one you know workforce development two you know are are affordable and you know sized appropriately and three that they use you know some type of construction method that is energy efficient um whether it's passive or energy star or lead whatever that when someone does purchase this home, it's, it's exactly that. Like you said, a warm home, it's, it's comfortable. 
I mean, it, it affordability is a huge factor and in, into all of this. The problem is that I find that a lot of the products that I actually like and make sense to me, I find that there's such a premium on them. And yeah. I don't know if that's done on purpose just because I think once you start talking about lead, you start talking about having a net zero kind of home or something like that, I think there's advantages taken by some of the manufacturers. And, and I think that's a little unfair because I, you would get more people considering these materials if they were more affordable. Yeah, I, I completely agree. And I think, you know, we got to, it's almost like forcing these manufacturers to just produce energy star rated, you know, equipment, materials, stuff like that, you know, energy efficient stuff. But it's also, you know, trying to convince someone not to make so much money because it's so easy to produce, you know, like vinyl siding or whatever. It's, yeah. you know, it, it's it's like you said, at, at an individual level, you got to change the mindset. And for those upper echelons, I guess you got to kind of like what what is what is the purpose of, you know, of doing this? You know, I'm how can I be a better person, you know? So I know communication is big for you as well and, and also respecting the trades and, and everybody getting along. So when it comes to the whole crew, everybody from the starting point, from, so from actual architect drawings to engineering to designer to the actual first swing of the hammer, um, that all, like, I, it's all about education at that point. Everybody has to be on the same page at that point. Correct. You got to choose the we, right team. Yeah, and... I think uh, as contractors, you kind of get that bad rap on occasion of like, you're trying to undermine the architect and blast them with change orders and stuff like that. And at least when I'm working and I'm always, it's a team first mentality. I, uh, I served in the U.S. Army for 10 years and, uh, you know, it, it was, don't even, it was team, you know, all the time. So I kind of, I bring that to my, I guess, management skills where I, I focus on where, where it's just common goal, common one mission. Let's, let's do it. Um, I, uh, you know, it's, it's, it, it only makes sense. You're going to make, you want, we all have to finish at the same finish yeah. line, Yeah. you know? So it, it's a no brainer for me. It's interesting. You bring up, uh, the military. Cause I had a good friend of mine actually he's an American, but he's also Canadian cause he married a Canadian, but he's actually considering going back to America to either New York or to, um, uh, to out West. And he was telling me that, uh, in military, there's less stress than there is in construction. So he's yeah, a GC, he's a GC. And he was trying to explain this to me. And I said, coming from you, who's also, you know, you're a military person retired and you were also uh, a New York police officer. And you're oh, telling wow. me that there's more stress in construction than, than the military. That's making me nervous. He goes, well, in the military, you're, you're stressed when there's a situation of a potential threat to your life or to the lives of people that you're with. Right. Yeah. But in construction, there's stress all the time. Constantly. That's the difference constantly. Right. So yep. I'm like, ah, thanks for opening my eyes right now. I really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was an interesting conversation to hear him say that a, a vet. Right. And I was like, oh, yeah. wow, man. Wow. Yeah. I, uh, I think where he's coming from planning is huge as I was yeah. an infantry officer and it is, uh, it's actually what I'm writing my thesis on right now for my master's and, uh, just the importance of planning, you know, it's, uh, it's so critical and you, you got to simplify your planning for these bigger facilities that are constantly building. If you can 
hone in on your planning, solidify it, make it easily digestible. So anyone who can jump, who jumps into the project can pick up right where someone left off or, you know, it's, and you can also bring the design team and the GC in and, you know, everyone's a part of it. It's a critical piece of the puzzle that I think is really lacking and is like crushing, especially on those larger projects, just crushing it. Cause it's just like, there's no, in, in some places, I'm sure there is a standardization of, of your planning, your procedures, your methods, but making it easily digestible so someone can jump in and the lack of it and lack of knowledge, it just, it does make the construction industry slightly, you know, more stressful, you know? It does. It does. I've always said to clients and people in the industry that if you're not spending more time planning the project than building the project, then you're off to a rough start. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, if you've ever like laid out anything like, and I don't consider myself a carpenter at, at all. I'm just a dude who likes to drink beer and swing a hammer, you know, but uh, <laughs> you, it takes me like half a day to lay out one thing, make sure everything's square and straight and plumb. And then, then it just, it goes, uh, you know, up real quick, but it's that initial, like, all right, how do I do this? Well, let's get the tape measure out, remeasure, measure again, measure a fifth time because I suck at it. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm the same way, Greg, because I, I mean, I'm, I'm always constantly planning in my head, trying to figure out the next chess move. Right. Yeah. And then for, I mean, if I actually don't make it exactly perfect the way I want it, it like it takes me a lot less time to actually grab the sawzall and cut it out and do start all over again. You know yeah. what I mean? Because I want it to be a certain way at that point, because I know that if you build it a certain way, the efficiency attached to it is mandatory. That's just it. It's there. But if you kind of compromise on this one thing, you'll compromise on the next thing and you'll compromise yep. on the next thing. And then before you know it, the project that you started has been compromised and <laughs> yeah. there's no point in doing it if that's the fact. Yeah. And it, um, from our world, uh, especially in the healthcare industry, um, you know, it's, it's huge. If your plan is good and solid and you do run into an issue, like you said, Contingency planning is massive. I know in the military, you have all these different contingency plans and you review it with everyone. So everyone's on the same page. You kind of put in the back of your head, like, all right, here's the plan. But if shit goes south, here's what, here's how we're going to react. Yes. It's, you know, and you can never plan for, you know, any specific scenario. It's never going to end up like that. But the same thing with building, you're never going to come into an existing building you know, I, I uh, always look at the electricians and I'm like, your job has got to suck because you look at an old panel that isn't, you know, labeled and you're just tracing and you're like, oh, and then in the healthcare industry, it's like, oh, that circuit right there, that's, you know, Mrs. Jones on the seventh floor who's on life support. And it's just like, it gets real, really fast. And then you, it, it'll snowball if you don't have that planning set in stone. Wouldn't it be funny, Greg, if you could actually try to figure out as many different scenarios of what could potentially happen on a job site from the moment you step on with an issue and then how yeah. it could all play out by all the players involved. Right. Yeah. It would be an infinite amount. You would, you, it's, it would be impossible, man. It would be by the end of absolutely it, impossible. Yeah. At the end of it, you'd be thinking to yourself, that one I didn't plan. <laughs> I didn't think exactly. that was going to happen, but exactly. it does, no, it's, that's exactly. construction for you at that point. And, and that's one of the things, reasons I, I do love it. It keeps you on your toes. You know, it lets you know you're alive to a certain extent. I'm not saying, yeah, you know, yeah, no, I like agree. bring on the changes. I can't <laughs> wait to open this splice box and 
blast myself through the wall over here because it's arcing everywhere you know like I, I I just say good luck to the Sparkies when they start. Yeah. you know they come across the spaghetti there, and I'm like, you guys could just good luck, man. Good luck. <laughs> yeah, you just laugh in the corner like. <laughs> I have no idea, but then I'm in awe. Then I return yeah. and I'm totally respectful, and I'm in awe. I'm like, you yeah. guys are amazing, yep. absolutely amazing. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, planning planning is huge, and that's uh, one of the things I I would like to focus on, especially because um, we also provide at the Builder Project uh, CM services. And that's kind of like my little specialty of just like sitting down with an owner, planning everything out, and then also helping them make decisions. I know it is so tough to make decisions. And if you're slow with it, you're losing production. And then the GC is like, hey, here's a change order. You, you screwed me out of five days. Like you got to pay for these guys. Like the 10 knockers are sitting on their ass, you know. So it it's, adds more stress, I guess. It does, but that's construction. That's why we love and yeah. hate it sometimes, but it's also a, a collective. It's a team, and we yeah. all pull it off. We totally pull it off every time. Yeah. Yeah. Cool, Greg. I think we got the the, the 12 questions uh, just to wrap it up, but is there anything else you want to discuss before we get closer to the 12 questions there? No. I guess uh, who's going to win the Stanley Cup? I have no idea. I don't follow sports at all, man. What? I'm man. sorry. I don't oh, follow on, sports, man. man. I'm too busy making a podcast whenever I possibly can. <laughs> uh, you know, like we've got a lot of shows out there. Who's going to win? I don't know who's in the Stanley Cup. I have no well, idea. It's not even the playoffs yet. But okay, uh... there we go. So uh, is the Canadian or American? Or is it both American or what? I don't know. Uh, yeah, well, it, I don't know. It's it, The playoffs haven't started, but, you know, yeah. Uh, yeah. Carol, I'm a Rangers fan, so Carolina uh, <laughs> Hurricanes are they're just another another uh, another good year for them. So we'll see. We'll I'm see. the one uh, duck, duckling on the job site when everyone shows up in the morning with their coffee and they're asking or talking about sports or hockey. I just look at yeah. them going, "Okay, guys, just, I'll be over there." Yeah, uh, reading a manual about uh, some like. <laughs> <laughs> some I'll be over there LP. swinging a hammer. Yeah, trying to figure <laughs> out how to build that or this. I don't know. Talk about talk amongst yourselves about sports, man. <laughs> Greg, we're talking to Greg Murphy, uh, thebuilderproject.com, Greg at thebuilderproject.com, and on LinkedIn and Instagram, The Builder Project. I love what you guys are doing, man, and I'd love to actually – any plans on expanding it to Canada kind of thing, getting it up here? Uh, yeah, I mean, we're just trying to get it off the off the ground now, but I think, you know, one of our uh, – like, this is 10 years down the road – is just trying to create a coalition of, of the builder section – to kind of come together and represent, you know, the the construction professional side of energy efficiency and, and healthy building. And I think uh, if we can all come together as individuals, I think it's, uh, you know, something that we could create something great. You know what I will say, Greg, is that during this whole show and speaking to so many people, and I still looking forward to speaking to so many more people in the industry, there's a lot of people that care, man. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry to say, but there are a lot of people that care. There's there's a handful yeah. of people that don't give a crap, but there's a lot of people that do care about trying to build better. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Cool. All right. Ready for the 12 questions? Yeah, let's do it. What is your favorite construction word? Okay. Um uh probably gonna have to say uh job uh no 
job well done, I guess. I don't know. It's a phrase. I don't no, know. It could be a There's phrase. So many I know. I kind of, I kind of trap people by saying a word, but it could be a phrase. It could be. Yeah. Yeah. Job well anything. done, I guess. What is your least favorite construction word? I don't know that, that phrase. <laughs> what turns you on in construction? Working, seeing the trades work together to solve a problem. You know, when you're on a site and it's like, hey, the tin knocker's there, but the plumber needs to put pipe there and they actually, you know, you don't have to trade sit. You're just sitting there yeah. and they took the onus on to themselves to just work it out. And it's just like, it makes your job so much easier. They're being polite to each other and just talking. <laughs> yeah. What turns you off in construction? Uh. I, I'm not a big fan of when you kind of set your, your people up for failure. I don't like that yeah. when you, you know, you got to give them a shot. You got to give them a fair or a swing at it and you just kind of plop them on there. And, you know, it, and it doesn't even have to be a junior person. It could be like a seasoned vet. You just throw them on the job. The foreman is like uh, going on vacation and, you know, you throw someone there and it's like, I, I make sure I, I speak to that individual and I, I try and I'm like, all right, this is, I'm going to bring you up to speed. And then that's all I know. And I need you to kind of cover the ground quickly. Nice. Uh, what is your favorite curse word? We haven't been swearing all that much. Fuck. There we go. Yeah. It's, it's a no brainer. It's, it's so, it's so good. It's, it's, it can mean so many things. It's a verb, a noun, an adjective, you know, perfect word, perfect word. What is your favorite vehicle? Anything in the world? It's just a Ford F-150, a simple truck, nothing crazy. Nice. What's your least favorite vehicle? Mini Cooper, I guess. You don't like the Mini Cooper, eh? <laughs> it's, it's, just, it's, just, I, it's like a death trap, you know? It's, it's true. I'm scared it's very, very if you're driving true. in it. You know, New York is aggressive. It's very, very true, man. Uh, but yeah, New York's got the, um, they got the bicycle police now, right? The uh... Yeah, well, they've always had the bike police oh no, the no they're, they're in smart cars they're in smart yeah cars. they got that's the the traffic nypd has like a traffic yeah uh, people yeah. the traffic ninjas that give you tickets like yeah. two minutes after it's like 7 a.m i was caught off guard the first time i saw them i was like what's going on there why, <laughs> why do they yeah. have so much power but they have a lot yeah. of power right? the, and then the cops in uh, grand central are hilarious on the segways it's it's really great it's... <laughs> what uh what construction sound or noise do you love uh Probably a chop saw. Any particular brand? I guess if I had to choose, I'm a DeWalt person, but, uh, you know, uh, I'm also nowhere near as skilled as you. I'm just here to try and learn and be the best individual person I can be. <laughs> <laughs> I just pretend, man. I just pretend. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what construction sound or noise do you hate? My my fine tool, I, I absolutely hate it. The oscillating, it's like man. that vibrating noise, and then when you put it on metal, it's just is like, please make it stop. Uh, it's piercing, piercing. Yeah. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day? I wanna, I wanna honestly, I wanna try them all. Like I, I'm, uh, I'm not, a, I'm not afraid to do things a few times. <laughs> Plumbing, I will say probably at the bottom because uh, I've burned myself so many times soldering that. <laughs> And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to take a break from that one. I've learned because I'm actually a soldering guy. I love copper. I'm not a fan of pecs and anything like that. But I've actually learned the fine skill of getting out of the way of the solder drops. You know what I mean? So you're making yeah, sure. Just but Watching the plumbers with all their joints, you don't even know if they use solder. You're like, where did it go? Where tight, is it? Tight. Very, very skilled tight. I know. I know. Yeah. What profession would you not like to do? 
anything that's behind a desk, honestly, I, I like, I look at my wife and she's uh, an editor for a uh, market research firm. And I would, I would go bananas. My, <laughs> my, I was just, I couldn't, couldn't, I gotta, I gotta walk around. I gotta run something. Last question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at those pearly gates? Uh, thank you just for being a good person. Nice. Basically it. Nice. Thanks so much, Greg, for being on the show. I really appreciate, man, you guys reaching yeah, out. Yeah, thanks, man. Love the show. Keep up Thank the good you. work. And, Thank you, man. And, no, uh, maybe one day I'll make it up to Toronto. Come out. Come out. I'd love to take the show on the road one day, but right now we're stuck in the studio. We're not stuck in the studio. We enjoy the studio and doing it. But uh, everyone, please reach out if you have any questions for Greg at thebuilderproject.com, and his email is greg at thebuilderproject.com, and on LinkedIn and Instagram under the Builder Project. I think that's it, man. Great. Good. All right. Cool. Thanks so much, Angelina. All right, Greg, we're at.